having a beer after a hard day's work once meant putting up with a six o'clock swill. The swill is not only unpleasant, it's also dangerous. Those who like beer, and surprisingly it's still legal to like it. South Australia joins all other states in abandoning the six o'clock swill. You're listening to the Six O'Clock Swill with veteran blogger and barbecue chef Tim Blair and Kel Richards, the etymologist who dictionary compilers around the world keep on speed dial to solve those nutty semantic problems that leave everyone else stumped. This week, the national minimum wage goes up to cover the cost of lettuces. As renewable power stumbles, coal becomes the new black, rainbow washing in pink pride wheat. Cricket, England get back on the source and start winning again. And um, the price of fuel, let's start with that, shall we? Uh, Tim, I don't know what you're paying up there on the Central Coast, but 98-octane petrol is nudging around $2.50 in parts of Sydney. That's uh, $2.49.9, to be precise, New House, New South Head Road in Edgecliff. And that's with the reduction in fuel excise duty, right? What's it going to happen when they put that back on? Yeah, which is due, it's, it's due to keep back in. Well, that's, that's going to nudge us up very close to $3 a litre, isn't it? And I don't think we've been in that vicinity ever before. We're going down the US track. We're, we're, we're doing Bidenomics in Australia. This won't end well. They're talking, what, $6 a gallon or something in parts of them. You, you'll have to translate that back into litres and then from US dollars into Australian dollars. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. And also, also you've got to remember, US gallons are smaller than imperial gallons. It gets the mass, <laughs> the mass get a bit twisty, right? <laughs> But yeah, we've uh, we've engineered a terrible situation, especially in terms of uh, uh, of uh, well, just all manner of sensible uh, fuel delivery systems, be they coal, oil, whatever. And the the bottom line is always, we pay a damn lot more, mate. It's not great. Well, we do. Not everybody does. So I, I noticed Mike Cannon Brooks, the man who buying up AGL in in order to destroy its coal producing assets. <laughs> He tweets, kudos to the Moss Vale Services Club for having a double NRMA EV charger in the car park. EV, that's electric vehicle, I think, Tim. Uh, Charging my car while getting a schnitzel at the RSL with the kids felt like a new future for Australia, one that was nicely connected with our past. This gets my goat, you know. I mean, his $100,000... Tesla that he drives around. Uh, uh, you, n- most people, of course, would, would come close to affording a new car like that, mm. particularly when you don't know what the resale value is going to be and the, the, lease, the lease is hard to get. But, but wait a minute. They get, I discovered this week that if you, if you charge up at one of those public charging stations, the chances are you won't get charged. Most of them are free. So you fill your car with, with uh, electricity for nothing. And what's more you're not paying road tax because road tax is added to the price of petrol. So we are basically bludging. Mm. Can I leap in, Nick, and offer a thought? There's all of those problems, you know, the fact that when we get lots of blackouts, you won't be charging the car at all. And as the electricity prices yep. spiral, it'll cost more. The one thing that, that really bothers me and that doesn't get mentioned nearly enough is refueling time. It takes you three minutes to put petrol in the car. Now, I was talking to David Berthold, who yes. was test driving an EV. I said, how long does it take to charge? He said, well, if you take it home and plug it into your ordinary 240-volt uh, power supply, 65 hours. If you've got one of the really fast uh, <laughs> three-pin plug, whatever it is, three-phase three power things, 
He says you can do but it in six charges, hours. yes. He said if you go to one of those public places where they've got 370 volts, I think he said, you can do it in half an hour. But even at half an hour, it means you pull into the service station and you charge your car for half an hour. Mm. It's why Tim Cannon-Brooks had to talk about getting a schnitzel for the kids. You've got to think, OK, I'm going to refuel the car. <laughs> what can I do while I refuel the car? It is, it is just, Australians, they keep saying they want most of us to go to EVs. We're not going to vehicles that take more than three minutes to refuel. It ain't going to happen. It is just dumb. There have been two pieces written lately, uh, Kel, one from the US where someone drove from New Orleans to Chicago and then back again and spent more time uh, recharging the car than they did sleeping. <laughs> and another one where someone uh, drove simply, I think, from Sydney to Canberra. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was like a nine-hour mega voyage, again, because of recharging. Now, you know, you've got to be pretty determined to get to Canberra if you're taking nine hours. Now, the other thing with the recharges is they very often... I mean, America's a better example than Australia because we have fewer um, per capita uh, recharging stations. America's loaded with them. They're all over the place. Very often, A, they don't work. They're much more prone to breaking down than traditional mechanical fuel pumps. And two, other people are using them. When other people are on there for six hours, like, well, you just what do you, you just park, park up and wait? It's not like going to the next Chevron station well, and you, everything's good. We, that's the question that troubles us. I mean, we have relatives in Tamworth. We get halfway to Tamworth, you have to mm. recharge, and you find there's mm. someone at every pump. And even, mm-hmm. or every charging thing, whatever the equivalent of a pump is in this lunatic world. Uh, yep. Now, even if it's only half an hour, <laughs> well, it's suddenly I've got to wait an hour. Yep. I've got to wait someone to finish their half hour. Then I've got to spend my half hour. Yep. And I don't want to spend half an hour in Mullumbimby. I really don't. I don't want to spend an hour in Mullumbimby. I've seen as much of Mullumbimby as I ever want to see. I just want to get on to Tamworth. <laughs> how long, how long, Kel, do you reckon has the phrase road rage been around? That sounds yeah. to me like a 90s term, but it might um, be earlier. might have been earlier in America. might have been 80s because of the, the habit of okay. carrying guns in, in the glove box of your car. So Okay, we'll factor this into a road... Let, let, let's build a little road rage <sighs> equation. Tesla here. rage. Tesla rage. Tesla rage. You pull into a recharging point. There are two cars using the two available rechargers. You're on a very low charge. You need some power. Now, obviously, the people of, uh, you know, they're not hanging around their cars for three or four hours waiting to get a charge. They've gone off somewhere to a restaurant or, you know, to write a novel, uh, translate Shakespeare into Russian. I don't know what they're doing to fill the time, but they're not at their vehicle. The arriving driver notices that the vehicle is now fully charged. Ah, yes, But there's yes. no one there to drive it away. Mm. At which point the person becomes deeply annoyed, might uh, take it upon themselves to unplug that vehicle and plug in their own. At which point the owners of the first vehicle return to the site. Now, people in Australia get angry if you put garbage in someone else's <laughs> yes. bin. Yes. You mess with a fellow's car... You see where yes. I'm going with this? Yeah. Um, there'll be there'll be confrontations at, uh, at at various venues. I mean, imagine you showed up at a petrol station, and someone's just 
monopolising the pump, and they've wandered off to do some antique well, shopping. If you're sitting there waiting for someone to pull out so you can pull in, and some really clever dickhead comes yeah. in and, and takes the, the spot next to the pump you're about to take, you become very angry. But imagine if you yeah. go to one of those charging stations and all the places are full, and the common share as motorbike gang pulls in, and they just say, all you people are leaving, and you are leaving now, we are using all these charging pumps. i, I got a feeling it'll be a bit like laundromat raid. Oh. Oh, wow. Which I last yes. experienced in, in, in Wallaroo in South Australia about oh, three years ago. Uh, I, I... Well, I'm glad to hear they've got a laundromat now. Last time I was there, they were just, uh, they were just smashing uh, stuff on the rocks down by the river. <laughs> Washing it in the oyster beds. No, no, they do. They do. And because uh, I turned up and, and you know, all the available washing machines were being used, except for one where it obviously finished its cycle. So... I oh, foolishly no, you, you unloaded didn't. Oh, the washing, no, 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 put no. it in a dryer. Just as the woman turned up, I honestly, I thought I was going to die. <laughs> she, was, she was so angry. Well, it's the fact that you me. were wearing some of her undergarments probably didn't help, Nick. That, that would have uh, probably tipped her in. Well, <laughs> I, I plead guilty. I plead guilty to that. But it was a Saturday. Oh, yeah, it's weekend, yeah. Okay, fair, 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 fair call. Um yeah, like people are, pr- are protective of their, their, their time and property and space. And uh, this won't work out too well. The only advantage I think we have with the bikies these days, Kel, is um, a lot of them are getting a bit old. I remember um, a few years ago I was driving from Fort Worth, Texas to Austin. And about midway between those two fine cities is Waco. Waco, Texas. Famous well, Buddy Holly. It's the home of Buddy Holly. That's Waco. That's what it's legendary that's for. That's right. And of course, uh, you know, at the home of the um, uh, terrifying Inferno, uh, ordered by Janet Reno. That uh, oh, was it. David Koresh. Was that the bloke? That's his name. Yes, uh, David Koresh. That was that was prompted by a, a laundromat incident, I think, wasn't it? Oh. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was. He was the. He was the Jesus of laundromats, but. Uh, on this occasion, when I went through it, there'd been a recent bikey gang riot, two rival gangs that attacked each other, several people killed. And, but, you know, we're talking about people who are getting on a bit in years. And uh, I think it was the Austin Statesman was the newspaper in its report said, and, uh, and after being shot twice, <laughs> one of the bikey gang leaders drove away in his Camry. They are getting to the age with the flowing white beards when they'll beat you with their their walking stick. Yes, yes. yes. Oh yeah, yeah. They're not, they're not hauling away on a on a no, a, no. a triumph or a Harley like uh, Marlon Brando. They're um, gently easing themselves into a a Camry, putting it in D, <laughs> and, and gently exiting the car park. Well, inflation inflation isn't the only economic problem we're facing there's a, a bear market a bear stock market back back in uh, in september when the s&p 500 mm. was riding high at about just under 4500 president joe biden was uh, boasting about his midas touch um, let's have a listen by the way the stock market has gone up exponentially since i've been president you haven't heard me say a word about it <laughs> i'm glad it's gone up no problem <laughs> <laughs> Exponentially, and in January he said, "When he said the stock market's about twenty percent higher than when my predecessor was there, it's hit record after record on my watch." Well, uh, since then, of course, the stock market has lost thirty percent of its value, so it's back to before, mm. where, where it was before he came to to power. So I thought quite quite reasonably, it seemed to me, Peter Ducey from Fox News correspondent Peter Ducey 
took this up yep. with White House spokesperson woman Karen Jean-Pierre this week. President Biden once bragged about the stock market hitting record after record after record on my watch. How about now? Meaning the stock market. All the gains from President Biden's time in office have been wiped out. So, as you know, we're watching, we're watching closely. Uh, we know families are concerned about inflation in the stock market. Uh, that is something that the president is, is really aware of. No, he isn't. That's about as good as you get, I think, by way of an explanation. He's, he's really aware Can of I it. Can I just though. explain that what happened was he fell into a trap known as Richard's Law of Opposites. You say something in a loud, confident voice, and the opposite will happen shortly afterwards. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were going to say you fell into a bear trap, uh, Kel. What, what, can you explain? You should explain what a bear market yes. is. How did it get that name? Why, why yeah, not? No, I'll give you the story. There was an old slogan many years ago of don't sell your bear skin until you've skinned your bear. Uh, and from that, uh, supplying uh, supplying something uh, was was called uh, uh, selling something was called having a bear skin to sell or just a bear. Mm. So bear markets were selling markets, mm-hmm. and then as a kind of opposition to that, because people thought that bulls were the opposite of bears, a right. bull market became a buyer's market. But it was originally from that slogan of "Don't sell your bear skin till you've skinned your bear." It's the idea that a, a bear market is a selling market, a bull market is a buying market. Okay, now we know. Um, just a, a, another cultural point of difference between us and the US. In Australia, we talk a lot about uh, housing values and, and house prices. Uh, that's our kind of default yeah. um, gathering talk. We will we will chat about which way the housing market's going. In the US, they talk about their 401k, their retirement savings plans. Yeah. Because houses in the US aren't quite so overvalued uh, they're a much, it's a much more reasonable and sensible market uh, housing prices aren't as sensitive but the 401k is very much more um, prized and also susceptible to market variations just scanning through the various people I read on social media in the US during the week some of them have dropped 20% of their like annual 401k, 401k uh, savings mm. This is and these are enormous sums of money that are being thrown around or lost rather that are vanishing because the stock market is tanking so severely. People are really dumping a lot. Twenty percent is a massive move, and there's also the feeling everyone has that we're only about halfway down the hill. Uh, it's possible to go further. So yeah. you've you've got a feel for people who've lost that much in their four hundred one k. We don't have anything like that except we do have uh, an SS. What's called a an SMM, a self-managed super fund. An SM, SM is what we've got. And my wife manages yeah. that and trades mm. shares every day. And she's very clever at it. Mm-hmm. But ours is creeping down, but only Good. in tiny amounts, partly because Barbara's so clever at trading, but, but also because our market is not so bad. Our Good. market is not nearly as bad as Wall Street at the moment. So there is further it could go. We, we, mm. there's, there's reason to be concerned. Oh, absolutely. And um, I keep looking at all the numbers of uh, various commodities and the um, inflation involved with just individual commodities. I'm not sure how, looking at all of those, it works out to just yeah, 8 yeah. or 0.6, I think, percent inflation overall. No way. There's, there's no numbers under that for anything. Yeah, well, asset, asset it's prices be worse. are not counted as inflation, but because asset price inflation has been huge, hasn't it? I mean, you mentioned house prices. Stocks, even even secondhand cars, right? Oh, crazy, crazy numbers for the secondhand cars, uh, and and that's simply because people have got 
a lot of money around. It's, it's what happens when you have 14 years of uh, loose monetary policy and, and, the, and the, the, inter, the interbank lending rate is virtually zero. So money is free. It's mm. being effectively printed by the Reserve Bank. And uh, we, we're kind of surprised when inflation kicks in. But, uh, it, I, I agree, it's got a long way to run, and, and the Treasury and the RBA have completely underplayed it. I think this is going to come back and be the big thing that haunts, well, one of the big thing that haunts the new government. At least we've got abundant <laughs> supplies of electricity, <laughs> not... Chris Bowen is the new energy minister. He's an annoyingly energetic energy minister, Nick, isn't he? he is. What's with all the arm waving and the gestures, which don't actually match what he's saying? He's like it's like a Broadway performance, except he's reading Sylvia Plath poetry. Like it, it, nothing. <laughs> there's no. Watch his next press conferences. He's 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 he's. He's in a high Can I say that a friend of mine said that there's an explanation for that? He went up to a lectern after a politician had given mm. a speech and there was a marking in pencil down the side of on one page. It said, at this point, argument weak shout. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's Chris Bowen. So, I, look, I, I don't pretend to be an expert in the national energy market, but it does seem more than a coincidence that we seem to hit this 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 point this pinch point that, that we you know all the, the electricity becomes scarce and they're, they're threatened to mm. to give us blackouts or or load shedding we'll talk about that term in a minute at five o'clock at uh, five o'clock when the sun goes down that so does indicate to yep. me that this is to do with solar energy I, I don't think i mean i think the sun's been going roughly that time down roughly that time in june in this part of australia well before... It's a predictable occurrence. Yeah, yes. well before Vladimir Putin yeah. came to the power, so I don't think we can blame him for that. Uh, but so it, it it seems quite clear we've we've got too much renewable energy and, and not enough gas, but not according to Boeing. Have a listen to this. The problem is there hasn't been enough investment in renewable energy. The problem is there hasn't been enough... Re- and, and it, no, you've asked your question, Chris, so I'm going to answer it. There hasn't been enough investment in storage. Yes, you can say the wind doesn't always blow and the sun doesn't always shine. Well, the rain doesn't always fall either, but we manage to store the water. We can store the renewable energy if we have the investment. And that is investment that has been lacking for the last decade. That's the problem. Can, can I just point out a lovely little scientific fact in the middle of that? He thinks you can store in, uh, electricity in batteries exactly the same as you store water in a dam. Doesn't quite work like that. The laws of physics don't quite work like that. <laughs> no, no. No, and also I love the fact he's talking about we can store water. How many dams have uh, have Labor built, <laughs> and how many yes. dams have Labor opposed? Come on, guys! Like other people can build dams occasionally, not that often in Australia. But um, this guy yeah. is is talking crap, uh, to put it bluntly. He's um he's not unit. And uh, when you're talking about underinvestment in renewables, I think last year was about eight billion dollars. It, it tends yeah. to run in that and about about as much the same before. Yeah. We've thrown a lot of money at this stuff. And, and this is another fun thing with uh, our various energy people. Matt Keane, one of my favourite human beings in, uh, in the New South Wales government. Matt Keane? I've got a grab from him too. Oh, please, because he was cheering the other day, um, uh, saying that we're out of, the, we're out of trouble. New South Wales, we can, we can actually now run our dishwashers without fear. <laughs> uh, the glory days have returned. <laughs> and, and he said, because two generators had come back. Hail the generators. He didn't 
specify what kind. <laughs> well, but if you go to the Energy Authority dashboard, you can work it out pretty easily what kind of power came back. So you look at like, I don't know, around midday on Wednesday when we would be told that our dishwashers could kill the world, the amount of power being produced by coal was about 50 percent of the total. Well, and two, 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 and then it, and then it, and, and then it spiked up to about sixty-eight. <laughs> so he was talking about coal power <laughs> coming back, but he can't say the coal. c word. He can't say the word coal. Now, can I offer you guys a lovely phrase I found on an American website? Please. The phrase is weather-dependent economy. <laughs> we wow. are heading into hmm. a weather-dependent economy. Isn't that a lovely expression? <laughs> The only times that weather historically used to be a really big deal was uh, in times of war, when uh, you know Russia and Germany would um, would would be going at it, and uh, and a, a winter would be involved, or Napoleon. But now our entire economy, well, yes, is yes. now weather dependent. Just weeks ago, Matt Keane, the Energy Minister for New South Wales, was entirely confident that we could transition, as they say, from coal-fired generation to renewables very smoothly without a problem. Listen to him on the ABC. On Monday, the UN Assistant Secretary-General Selwyn Hart said that for the world to meet its Paris climate uh, goals, Australia must cut coal-fired power by 2030. Can Australian states like New South Wales meet that target? We absolutely can meet that target. In fact, we've got the biggest renewable energy plan that's been legislated in the nation's history right here in New South Wales. And that means as our coal-fired power stations come to the end of their lives over the next decade, uh, they'll be replaced with renewable. We're preparing for a future that is clean, green, and will deliver the cheapest and most reliable energy anywhere in the country. What an idiot. Well, that was just a few months ago. This was him this week. The supply is tight because a number of our coal-fired power stations, they haven't come online, um, you know, for various reasons. But these are old bits of machinery and they break down when we least need them to. We're not telling people to turn off their heating. We're just saying maybe if you are running the dishwasher at 7.30, just delay it till after 8.30 until this supply issue passes. The hell with that. <laughs> yes. You know, if, if you're, a, if you're a, a free human being, you run your dishwasher when you damn well want. You know, like, yes. like if, if, if we're now using a, time, a, a government timetable to scrape a bit of spaghetti bolognese off the porcelain, you know, like, come on. As the French said years ago, liberty, equality and dishwashing. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. The French were onto it. He's just now, asked you to do it for, for the good of everybody else, though, Tim. It's called, apparently it's called voluntary demand-side disparticipation in the electricity market. That means you don't actually turn it <laughs> You know, if you wanted to do something for the good of everyone else, you wouldn't direct investment incentives away from coal you'd actually keep these plants maintained. Like when he's talking, he's talking as though uh, there's no other option with these coal plants than, uh, or no, no way around their unreliability, as, as though that's an inherent feature of coal-fired plants. Mm. No, it's a feature of any machinery that is not maintained. Mm. Yes, yes. And the, by, by pouring lots of money into renewables and subsidising them so heavily, mm. you're actually encouraging the companies that own the coal-fired plants yeah. not to do the maintenance because it becomes... Uneconomic. Why would you why why would you invest millions in um in refitting a coal fired plant when you've got the energy minister telling you that it's it's going to be closed in five years or whatever timetable? Can I run through a few of the terms that they're Please, using? Please explain. Because them. what you were talking about in a very long phrase there, Nick, 
Okay, load sharing, which you described in a paragraph-long sentence a moment ago, is where the person providing the power, the company providing the power, gets the customer to take up some of the load. They sometimes do it with commercial buildings, where commercial buildings will have a gas-fired generator or something in the basement, and they agree that for some hours of the day, you know, you turn off the mains and you do that, and that makes life easier for us. They sometimes do it uh, involuntarily, where they say the kind of thing Matt Keane said, which is don't run your dishwashers until midnight. So that, that's load sharing, where you share the load with the people receiving the power. Baseload power, I, I didn't understand this till I did some digging. Baseload power means minimum power. It is the lowest amount of power that's ever needed. They tend to measure this at 3 a.m. on Christmas morning, because that's when the demand on the system is lowest. And the minimum demand on the system is 18 gigawatts in Australia. Now, I was talking to a... Uh, a someone who comes to my website, Rod, who's an expert on these things, he said, if we ever got below that 18 gigabytes minimum level, then everything would go off. Lights go out, refrigerators go out, freezers, cash registers, computers, production community, the production machinery, it all shuts down. And that's that's the point of the, the baseload power. It's the minimum, and it has to be there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, rain, hail or shine. That's why baseload power is a big deal. Dispatchable power is power sources you can turn on and off at short notice. So it's like having a gas... That's that's right. Not, so whenever the, the wind stops blowing and you have a wind drought for a few days, you go to the dispatchable power people who are... They might be a hydro system, but they might be a, a gas power generator or a coal-fired generator and say, turn it on. We need some power. So that's that's the dispatchable power. The, the other one that's interesting is firming. Firming is now being used to mean for every bit of renewable energy you've got, you have to have equal dispatchable energy. So they're saying you cannot have a firm power system unless you can equal your renewables with dispatchable power. So that means renewables could never, even at a maximum, provide more than 50% of the power to the grid because otherwise it's not firm. Otherwise, it's, it would be unreliable. It just seems doesn't it seem hard to me to say we just expect you to provide power, not just you know when you when you when it's convenient, but twenty four hours a day. And look, I mean, it, if you're a farmer and you sign a contract to sell cucumbers to Woolworths, they'll probably give you a pretty good deal. They say we'll give you I don't know a dollar a kilo for these cucumbers, and we'll, we'll you can have a three year contract, but you have to provide them three hundred and sixty five days of the year. And if you can't grow cucumbers on that particular day or week, then you have to go out to the market and buy others. You are supplying them to Woolworths, and if you don't supply them, then you effectively get fined. That um, surely can't be too hard, can it? You know, I mean, just not just saying, oh, we'll buy a load of electricity off you, you know, when yes, you care to yeah. deliver it. Well, we'd actually like it round the clock, you know. With it. Well, but you've got to understand, Nick, you're being very harsh on the... Um on everyone involved, because think of how notoriously, incredibly difficult it must be to produce electricity in Australia <laughs> yeah. with our limited supplies of coal, gas, uranium. We're, we're screwed. Like, like, how did we get to this point, really? Like, it's a miracle we've even got, got any kind of electricity at all. But they're using logic. If coal is in the ground, it's meant to belong in the ground. What are we doing well, digging it up? Silly thing to well, do. Well, here's another phrase for you. Yes. Uh, renewables. 
Mm. We talk about, and it's 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 a holy word, renewables, isn't it? It's it's got a word. It's a word that doesn't just. It means more than. The, in fact, there's a really might, lovely might use of it mm. in uh, the UK, where they have officially classified burning wood as renewable energy. <laughs> yes, it's called biomass. Because you can grow, you can grow more wood, right? You can grow more trees. The fact that it pumps out huge amounts of CO two every time you stoke up your agar, mm. they don't think about. Because you can grow more trees, it is quote renewable. I just think that's hilarious. Well, okay. Well, let, let's let's work on that. Uh, let's give coal a renewable designation because the more coal you dig up, the more you can create energy to make more <laughs> yes. machines to dig up more coal. Yeah. Uh-huh. Ah, oh, there we go. It's problem solved. Coal's now renewable. Everyone shut up and go home. Kelly, <laughs> Kelly it seems to me as usual the, the, the protest movement, the activists have grabbed hold of the language and, and using it with great effect. I mean, they invented this term yes. fossil fuel, yes. didn't they? It's, it's a, hmm. in, in order just to characterise coal and gas as somehow disreputable. But you no. don't have to well, think we, of it we, like we, that. Linguists years ago coined confused. the expression sneer words. So there's nothing inherently bad about the words, but if they are used in a particular way and tone of voice, they become sneer words. Fossil fuel is now a sneer expression, uh, and it only ever has a negative connotation. Yes, absolutely. And anybody who wants... Well, come to my house, (laughs) Kel, it's a bit different here. (laughs) Anybody who advocates the use of fossil fuels must, by definition, be a fossil, (laughs) and therefore old and... Wasted and, and, and unless you're making a, wipe a, them a, off the planet. A, a, a David Attenborough documentary, in which case fossils are good. Yes. Yes, exactly. And you're a saint, <laughs> you know. And uh, I, I used to love it when he'd talk about overpopulation, and then I'd review how many great grandchildren he's got. Um, okay, here's a here's a challenge for the panel. Guess the author. Okay. Now this is uh, in a recent edition of the Spectator. Our, our author happens to reside in the UK. Mm-hmm. Okay. I will now commence reading from the piece. We're staying just off Whitehall, so I go for a stroll. I pause for a moment to admire the household cavalry and the heavily armed, grim-faced cops before heading for Westminster Abbey. Hot tip. Avoid the marauding hordes and the £25 entry fee and go through Martyr's Gate. To a regular service. I came out of Holy Communion refreshed and ready to rock. It feels strange being a tourist in your own town. Maybe it's because I'm a Londoner. <laughs> now, I think I think we can take a reasonable guess at the age of the person. This mm. is not a particularly young mm. author. Uh, perhaps there's a few clues there in the language. Ready to rock might indicate something. Ready to rock. Um, any guesses at all? Ready to rock. Mick Jagger. The frustrating thing is I recognise it and I can't remember. It was several weeks ago, yeah. Filed away in one of the synapses, which has since closed down. The author of that, uh, of that lovely piece, talking about going to communion and, um, and, uh, and get, going to communion at Westminster Abbey and admiring the household cavalry, the author was Paul Cook, former member of the Sex Pistols. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That, he did one of the, one of the, the notebooks, didn't he? It was one of the notebook pages. That's right. That's right. Yes. Isn't, isn't that an it's extraordinary? Uh, you just, I mean, we know, you know, people people change as they get older, but 
this is a, a guy who was a member of the yeah. a band that was terrifying to a God lot of people. God save the Queen, the fascist regime. They made you a moron. Exactly. He's still a friend with Johnny <laughs> yeah. Rotten, and this is the man who's you know making sure he doesn't miss uh, communion Absolutely, at uh, yeah. uh, Westminster. I actually read it with some interest because I paid my £25 and I felt cheated. There's another way in. Oh, yeah. He, and he knows it. He, he's obviously not unfamiliar with the uh, with the venue, with Westminster Abbey. He's been there long enough to know, you know, he yes. is a totally legitimate cheap way through, through Martyr's Gate, uh, for a regular service. And um, it's a bit rich of Westminster Abbey to be um, demanding that people pony up £25. I mean, didn't, didn't uh, Jesus throw a few people out of church? <laughs> he he did. Overturn, overturn the tables. That's what they, we need someone back overturning the tables. Exactly. Oh, Paul Cook's got a bit of form in that regard, but maybe that was 50 years ago. But we'll see how we it's go. It's a lovely thing to pick up, Tim. I like that. It is extraordinary, isn't it? And um, yeah, wow. May I volunteer some information about a new documentary that's been made in America? Have you guys come across Matt Walsh? So, so you know him as a fairly yeah, yes. conservative American um, commentator. He's just made a documentary called The Woman Word. I think the documentary title is, is just What is a Woman? What is it? That's right. What is a Woman? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he got some lovely answers. He got. Totally yes. incoherent answers from some. He said to one person, what is a woman? And the answer was, it's someone who identifies as a woman. So then Matt Walsh said, can you uh, uh, define the word woman without using the word woman? And that, of course, was, was a step too far. They couldn't possibly do that. And the response was, what you're saying sounds transphobic. So uh, uh, it's um, th- there was another person who came out with a babble of words, a combination of your physical attributes and then what you're showing to the world and the gender clues you give. The gender clues. Yes. <laughs> um, apparently having XY or XX chromosomes never comes into it. Um, but, you know, what is a woman? Yeah, I'd like to see. What might a gender clue be, Tim, for a woman? Um, I don't know. Being one? In- inability to... Park a car without scraping the wheels. <laughs> Inability to read a map. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're ge- definitely gender oh, clues. Gender clues. You're going to get us cancelled for sure. <laughs> Actually, the, the, the one of the best bits about uh, Matt Walsh's documentary is he gets better and more reasonable answers to his question from Maasai tribesmen <laughs> he gets from American <laughs> academics. Uh, like those guys just go straight to it. You know, a woman is. You know, adult human female, <laughs> more, in more or less words. Um, and uh, it's always great to see these sort of culture-bonding moments. I mean, Matt, Matt Walsh is a very conservative, uh, religious, uh, uh, right-wing uh, guy from the US, and he gets on like a house on fire with the Maasai. They're all like, <laughs> they're, all, they're all laughing at the same sort of yes. lines and uh, just just uh, being being sweethearts. And it's a it's a terrific documentary from a whole lot of angles like that. And uh, in his own country, uh, Matt is despised by a lot of people, and um, and he's a figure of loathing. It's a uh, it's a hell of a hell of a shift. Breaking news on the woman front: The Daily Telegraph just arrived. A fine newspaper arrived on my doorstep. World Swimming will be the first international sporting organisation to vote on banning transgender athletes from elite competition. FINA delegates Whoa. will confront the most divisive issue in world sport at its extraordinary. Congress in Budapest this weekend. It's a big call. The most divisive, uh, the most divisive issue in world sport. But anyway, there it is. Well, so it's up there. I'm not sure if Kel follows Formula One. I, I suspect you don't have a great deal of interest. No, no. But uh, in but uh, in terms of um, 
of uh, language. Formula One has very specific terms itself. Um, what would you imagine if, if a driver said that his car was porpoising? <laughs> what would that vehicle be doing? <laughs> porpoising. It, I, I presume <laughs> bouncing or j- jumping or something or other. I, I can't guess. You, you, you've, you're very right. They've introduced new rules this year in Formula One, different aerodynamic rules. And an unfortunate byproduct of these new aerodynamic rules uh, is that the cars will be sucked down to the road surface to give them greater, greater grip. But then that suction will abruptly and, and not intentionally break. The vehicle will rise up and then the process will begin again. I don't need to go through the physics of you with it, but that's what happens. Now, that sounds a bit annoying. Yeah. But in Formula One terms, this is happening at such a rapid rate. <laughs> it's, it's basically the car is oscillating. Oh. It's doing it like hundreds of times. Like you go down maybe a, a half kilometre straight. Hundreds of times this is happening, bang, 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 and then you ca- they they were able to calculate the forces involved. All the all the cars have meters in them. Mm. Each each oscillation is one g. Wow, that's double your body Ooh. weight. Oh yes, and that's just happening over and over and over again. Now there's a race in Formula One race this weekend in Canada. It has a really long straight, and drivers are now complaining about spinal damage. <laughs> Driving in a straight line. But keep an eye on that word, Kel. Okay, porpoising, I like that. Next time you're looking at the sports pages, there'll be a Formula One article and the word porpoising, they've mainstreamed it. So My my memory of the words used in Formula One racing are those, I think, quite, quite exciting words at the beginning of the race. Gentlemen, start your engines. And that's, that's famously from the Indy 500, yes, absolutely. Yeah. They've dropped the word gentleman, someone said to me. It's now drivers start your engine, despite the fact every single one of the drivers has XY chromosomes. Well, there's a famous moment in the mid-70s when um, at the Indy 500, where Indianapolis 500, where that phrase is typically used to start the race, and they still use it, but there was a woman driver, a woman called Janet Guthrie, and she was the first woman ever to compete in Indianapolis. And there was huge controversy before the race. What are we going to say? You know, gentlemen, start your engines. There's also a lady. And they, and they were very resistant to the idea of just changing it and saying, gentlemen and ladies, start your engines. So they went with gentlemen, start your engines, and they had this excuse. The driver doesn't actually start the car at Indianapolis. Ah. An, exterior, an exterior mechanic starts the car. So once Guthrie's team heard about this, they got a female mechanic to start her car, and they had they had to change it to "gentlemen and lady, start your engines." <laughs> but they tried this; they did their damnedest to keep it out. Oh, good uh, on, on them! Te- good on them! On, on a technicality, yes. you know, they were gonna, they were pushing it. Yep. So, but yeah, in the end, uh, uh, some some greater sense prevailed. Yeah, yeah. Good news, some good news amongst all the gloom this week. A glass of wine or beer a day could keep the doctor away, according to a new major study into alcohol consumption amongst older Australians, that's us. The Monash University-led research has shown moderate alcohol intake in older Australians is better for heart and overall health than having no alcohol. So presumably, if moderate alcohol intake is good for you, double that alcohol intake is twice as good for you, that's what I'm working Absolutely. on. Absolutely. It makes scientific sense. Yeah. But uh, you were saying that this is, I think it's just been proven 
to be effective with the English cricket team. Is that right, Tim? This is true. Now, in um, about five years ago, uh, there have been a few incidents with the English cricketers. They've been out late drinking, causing problems, uh, bringing disrepute upon the team. So a, t- a midnight curfew was enforced whereby players would have to be in their team hotel uh, no matter whether they were playing matches at home or in, in the UK or, or away, they would have to be back in their uh, hotel rooms by midnight. This was not popular with a number of uh, team members who quite like social life, let's call it. Now, the England cricket team has a new coach. He was appointed just a month or so ago called Brendan McCullum. This, he's a, a very aggressive former New Zealand batsman. His first directive was to rescind the midnight curfew. So he, he hasn't gone in there saying, hey, we need to play in this style, we need to do that, we need to have you know, <clears throat> more left-handers in the team, we need to focus on spin or pace bowling. No. His first ruling, midnight curfew is gone. Stay up as late as you want. You're adults. Now, when he was appointed, England had won just one test match out of their previous 17 under McCullum's directorship, under his coaching, they've won two in a row. They're 100%. They've won both matches against New Zealand, his old team, who, by the way, are the current reigning World Test champions. So, obviously, getting on the source works. It does. For, for, it, it improves your sporting prowess. Tim, I think it's called the David Boone rule. Yes. <laughs> he didn't lose a lot of matches. <laughs> and... Uh, He's still very prominent in the game as a, as a match referee and very so on. Very prominent, yeah. So, I mean, Doug Walters, uh, an, another Australian cricketer, was famously uh, keen on a, the odd drink after play. Uh, he's uh, just been um, honoured in um, the, the Queen's birthday honours. So, uh, these, these old-timers are still hanging around and uh, Brendan McCullum's winning games and I think there's one test more to go in the series. If it's a clean sweep, it's one of the... Uh, best performances from England in the last five years or well, ten years. Is it true that Doug Walters once said, I don't want you to name a stand after me, I want you to name a brewery after me? <laughs> he might well have done, yes. He's a very, very funny, self-effacing person. And um, and in his day, an absolute genius cricketer as well. He, he never played a boring innings. From the first stroke no. to the last stroke, Doug Walters was <laughs> good to watch. Absolutely. I saw his final test century. It was at the MCG against New Zealand. Uh, it was an extraordinary innings. Um, I hadn't se- uh, to that point in my life, you know, I'd, I'd watched a lot of cricket, but I'd never seen someone play drives off the back foot with so much power. Yes. He was an astonishing batsman. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. Just in closing, guys, were you disappointed? That I, I, I certainly was. Were you disappointed that uh, none of the three of us, or all the six o'clock swill, was included? Uh, well, I get. Well, first of all, we weren't on the Queen's Birthday Honours list. That's good. Even more shattering than that was that we weren't on the list of 121 Australian journalists, <laughs> business leaders and military officials banned from Russia by Vladimir Putin. Has he oh, missed? Can I tell you, I nearly made it. I nearly Did made you? it. I went down really? the whole 121 names and there was a K Richards. And then I checked oh. it out and it was Catherine Richards from the Australian Defence Force. So I just didn't quite make it. <laughs> I would have claimed that anyway. Yes. Um, but no, I, I, I was I was snubbed. 
I'm calling it a snub. Well, I feel snubbed. In, in response, I'm going to sell my Dakar on the Black Sea, I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Inflation, the price of caviar these days is just incredible. Yeah, I, I, I don't think there's a formal list of people who aren't allowed, Australians who are banned in China. Maybe there is, but um, I just think, based on what I've written in the past, I'd probably be less welcome there than, than a lot of the 120 or so people would be in Russia. I think uh, I think I might give China a bit of a swerve for the time being. Mm. I've never been keen on the place at all, um, and uh, no, it's entirely. But it bans Australian journalists entirely, of course, doesn't it? So, uh, pretty pretty unfriendly place. Well, yes, but uh, yeah, this Russia thing. I mean, how do you get on that list? Who do you talk to? I don't know. Do you have to? Is it maybe it is like the Queen's birthday? Uh, honours you have to you get have somebody to, to nominate them. you fill in a form you know well see it's that well that's just that's just who you know well maybe there's a website where you could say i yeah. nominate tim blair to be banned from <laughs> russia the same as the order of australia there's a website you, then you have to get people to endorse it and say here's a, a recommendation <laughs> that like, you ban tim blair there, who, there'd be a system that list would be inconvenienced at all by not being allowed to go to russia like what like is everyone is, are people going damn you know, it's not like, like if you're if you're banned from Florida or Texas or you know yeah. civilization, yeah. then it, you'd be a bit upset if uh, if you were told, you know, no Disney World for you or whatever. But um, you know, you know, what have I done wrong? But if you're told you can't go to Moscow, well, I could probably live with that. You know, <laughs> I might go there just because apparently I'm not on the list. If I can go there, I'll just have all the hotel rooms myself. Is, is that the story? <laughs> Well, I do apologise for all the coughing. You're making me laugh too much. That's the problem. Yes. The COVID, Sorry, COVID has hit Richard's... Dip. Oh, did I tell you? I, my, my mother had... She had a touch of the COVID. Did I tell you this last week? I might not have, but... Mm. Um, Who hasn't? I, exactly. I heard from a relative that my mother, elderly mother, lovely old lady, had the COVID. So I rang her up and I said, well, how come I'm hearing about this? Then why didn't you call me and tell me? She goes, oh, I didn't want to worry you. Oh, <laughs> And I'm like, you know, well, that's good. Yeah, but, you know, you should have maybe told me. I was concerned about my mother. And, uh, and, uh, and I said, well, how are you going anyway? She goes, oh, a couple of tough days, but I'm a lot, be- I'm a lot better now. <laughs> and I said, well, that's terrific. Well, I said, look, in my experience then, you know, from here on in, if you've got over a couple of tough days, from now on you just feel a bit tired. Mm. And she said, what do you mean in your experience? You had the COVID? And I said, yeah. And she goes, well, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> Did, didn't, didn't want to worry you. <laughs> well, here's the figures. I've just called them up, uh, the exact figures for Australia. Okay. So up, up in, in the first two years, 2020 and 2021, less than half a million Australians contracted COVID. So under okay. 500,000. In the last five and a half months, so from January the 1st, more than 7 million have so yeah that'd be about right 7.75 million so far so half a million before we all get vaccinated then we get vaccinated 7.75 million i i I just feel we've been dudded i just i I just don't think this is the vaccine that we were expecting is it (laughs) well what about fauci he um you know saint Dr. St. Fauci in the US, who, who sort of spearheaded all the lockdowns and maskings and everything. And um, he's been, I think, quadruple vaxxed and double boosted and wears masks everywhere. And if he hears that a venue doesn't mandate masks, that he won't go, he'll avoid them. He's got it. And this guy's basically been living in a, in a, in a 
cocoon for the last two years. But you can understand how nervous he is because he, he funded what the Wuhan lab was doing. Consequently, yes. he knew they were intending to do something as dangerous as possible. <laughs> he invented Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> is he behind monkeypox? I bet he's behind monkeypox. Mo- monkeypox is just, it's, it's a signature Fauci deal. You had a new word to go with monkeypox. What was it, Kel? You told us earlier, zoonomics or something. Actually, monkeypox has been around since early in the 20th century. Uh, so okay. the, the disease has been known for a long time. It's just that there's been an outbreak recently. And pox is the, the plural of the word pock. And a pock is a lesion in the skin containing pulse, right. uh, uh, pus. Yeah. So it's all a very unpleasant sort of thought. Mm. Good Lord, yes. Mm. So, but they're coming up with a new word for it. They're, they're changing monkeypox. Oh, are they? I didn't offen- know. Yeah. Apparently, it's, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's offensive to monkeys. But they seriously are, are changing the name. Well, yes, I mean, the, the, that's right. It couldn't be the China virus, can't be the monkeypox. That's speciest. Yes, well, Fauci pox. <laughs> That'd be good. Or renewable bolus or something. You know, yes, just call it something yeah. everyone hates. Mm-hmm. You know, do you remember in the early 80s? This is not the first time disease... Diseases change their names all the time for different reasons. But... um. Obviously, the diseases aren't the active uh, agent in changing the names. But in the early 80s, when people were dying from what we now know as AIDS, the very first victims uh, were diagnosed with an, al- an alternative uh, thing called GRID, gay-related immunodeficiency. Ah. And it was only after people complained about uh, you know, the specific use of the word gay uh, that it was changed to um, acquired immune deficiency. So uh, AIDS, that's, uh, that's why it was never known as GRID for very long. Also, there's impl- negative implications with things like gridlock and so on. <laughs> yes. Uh, they, mm. they are quite officially zoonotic. The diseases we catch from animals are zoonotic. Mm. So, um, okay. And the, the Chinese tried to pretend that COVID was zoonotic when it was nothing of the sort. But bird flu yes. is zoonotic. You can, you can get all kinds of unpleasant things from animals. So... I mean, that's, that's a good reason we've given up keeping backyard chooks because you can catch bird flu from them. Mm. And you've oh, got to really? be careful of which dog you pet. You don't know where it's been. Well, I'll, I'll take those precautions on board, Kel. I'll kill all the chickens and shoot some dogs. <laughs> well, thank you for... Maybe they can take care of each other. We, we give you everything on this podcast, including public health advice. Thank you for that, Kel Richards. You are the, yep. the doc. You are you, you. You should surely be applying for Dr. Norman Swan's job with that kind of knowledge. It's fantastic, fantastic. Oh no, I get no, too he, much right. Have... I can't do that. I, I'm, I'm far too accurate. <laughs> he'd have to delete a lot of knowledge before he applied for that job. Well, look, it's been terrific to have you on the show again, Kel. We look forward to welcoming you back to unpack the language of nonsense, which we get thrown every week. Thank you, Tim. Any plans for the week, Tim? Are you still on leave or are you blogging? I'm blogging, but I'm on leave. I'm just donating the words at the moment. But, uh, yeah, I might might go for a drive somewhere. I don't know. Good stuff. We'll be back next week. Keeping one step ahead of the monkeypox. That's right. Keep keep that foot on the gas. We'll be back next week with another edition of the 6 o'clock swill. Every American and LBJ is with Australia all the way. Australia is the best place in the world to bring up a family. But we will decide who comes to this country and the circumstances in which they come. 
is Australia. Yeah!